the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. We appreciate you listening. We love the fact that you do, that you care about the things that God has to tell you through us. So let's get right into it. We're talking about the book of Revelation. We're up to the fifth church, which is Sardis, S-A-R-D-I-S. After that, there's still Philadelphia, and then there's the church at Laodicea. So we're talking about the church at Sardis. It's only one, two, three, four, five, six short verses. So I'm going to read all six before I get into the lesson. Revelation 3, uh, verse 1 through 6. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Verse 4. Thou hast a few names in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 6. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is the sixth church, and basically Jesus so far in his critiques, encouragements, rebuke, edification, challenges to all the churches, he's found something good in every church. Not so here. Here he's talking, and there is nothing he points out that they're doing well. Let me give you a brief history of the church at Sardis. Uh, The ancient city of Sardis, it was once a thriving metropolis located on the continent of Asia. History shows that it was extremely wealthy and it once served as the capital of the Lydian kingdom, L-Y-D-I-N. When King Croesus, you may have heard that name, when King Croesus ruled the region, he was said to be the richest man in the world at that time. Having an extravagant supply of gold, the people of Sardis, they built a huge fortress on top of one of the city's hills, which is where King Croesus lived until his kingdom fell to Persia and King Cyrus. During the first uh, century, gospel preachers came to Sardis and they shared the good news of Jesus Christ with the people. As a result, many people were saved and a great church was birthed in the city of Sardis. Although the church at Sardis developed a great reputation among the people, it also had a few issues with which Jesus himself was not pleased. But because he loved them, he addressed their deficiencies. And in Revelation 3, 1 through 6, we see his words recorded. Let's start off with verse 1. 
And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Once again, angel, the word here is angelos, and it means pastor, ministry leader. Jesus noted here that he also has the seven spirits of God, and that's important. Remember, the seven spirits of God, that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God upon Jesus for the purpose of ministry. If that spirit is upon Jesus, the head of the church, that spirit also is upon the church. That is the baptism in the Holy Spirit of God, where we too receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, though, was given the Spirit without measure. I have a sense, though, it doesn't say it, that we've not been given the fullness of the Spirit, but we do have access to it in its fullness, the totality, the the total body of Christ, okay? Individually, we can't do what Jesus did. I'm sorry, we are not Christ. But as a body, we are the body of Christ, and we have the same potential through the indwelling presence of God to do what Jesus has done. We saw this in Isaiah 11, too. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That's one. The Spirit of the Lord, number two. The Spirit of wisdom, number three. The Spirit of understanding, number four. The Spirit of counsel, number five. The Spirit of might, number six. The Spirit of knowledge, and number seven. The Spirit of the fear of the Lord. That is the Holy Spirit of God in his fullness of ministry upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. This represents the sevenfold ministry anointing. Also, we're going to see back in Revelation 1, 4, where John is talking, and he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. I'm trying to show you that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inseparable, where Jesus says his ministry gift, the Holy Spirit, is all over him where Jesus is the church is, where the church is the Holy Spirit of God is. This is the age of grace. The church can't function without the Holy Spirit of God. I know we are trying to. I know we have substituted so many programs. My former church, we were there for 30, 35 years, and now they've got programs for everything. If you've got a demon, they don't recognize it as such. Now we just have a class for you to get you uh, some counseling. There's no spiritual battles going on because the Holy Spirit is pretty much left and everything that we're doing there now, we're doing under the insight and the will and the wisdom of man. We've sacrificed the Spirit of God, the truth of God, the power of God, because man in his own wisdom thinks he knows better. You know, it's not something that we've done intentional. It's just we have fallen into that trap by being carnal. Also, we're going to see Revelation 4, I just said that, where the seven spirits are before the throne of God. And who writes this? Barclay. I'm going to quote Barclay. William Barclay. It denotes the Holy Spirit with his sevenfold gifts, an idea founded on the description of that same spirit in Isaiah 11, verse 2. It denotes the spirit in his sevenfold operation, the operation of the spirit of God. I love it. You know, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we talk about, yes, the acts of the apostles. No, it is not. It is the acts of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the acts of the Holy Ghost. Back to Barclay. There are seven churches, yet in each of them, the Spirit operates with all his presence and all his power. The seven spirits signify the completeness of the gifts of the Spirit and the universality of his presence in the church. I would add that. Again, they are before the throne of God in Revelation 4. Last time I'm going to talk about this. And out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, 
which are the seven spirits of God. Once again, where Jesus is, the sevenfold spirit of the Holy Ghost is there. Where Jesus is, the church is. It is a trifecta, a union. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the church, we go together like soup and sandwich. We go together like peanut butter and jelly. We go together like uh, bagel and lox. We go together, the church, the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important to note that Jesus possesses both the spirits, the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars and pastors. Let me read it again. These things saith he which hath the seven spirits of God, Holy Ghost, and the seven stars which are the pastors. Once again, we are connected. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. I want to drive that point home that is so important, especially in today. We need to recall that. Today we're in more trouble than these churches were. You know, the Bible talks about the apostate state of the church in the last days, and that's where we are. The Bible talks about the false teachers running rampant, and that's where we are. The Bible talks about religion. The Bible talks about the assault, the damnable heresies that are coming into our church. One of the biggest ones is this so-called doctrine that God is not sovereign anymore. I don't know where that came from. Well, actually, I do. But you cannot challenge the sovereignty of God. My goodness, what an affront to the Spirit of God. How arrogant do we think we are? God is sovereign. You must get that. One day I'm going to do a teaching on that just to get that settled in your spirits because that doctrine seems to be gaining ground. It's important to note that Jesus possesses both the seven spirits of God and the seven pastors. I believe Jesus wants the connection made. He, the sevenfold operation of the Holy Ghost and the church leaders all belong together. Jesus doesn't commend this church for anything, unfortunately. There is nothing here which he says is pleasing to him. And, you know, this has got to be a truly desperate situation at Sardis. Don't forget, uh, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, which is great. They had a great reputation. Unfortunately, Jesus, thou art dead. You know, they've got a name, all right, but it's not the name of the Lord God. It's not the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I know, oida, that's the word, to see or to perceive, to understand or to comprehend it's it's a knowledge that's gained by personal experience. Jesus knew firsthand that this church had a name. He knew their works, which were, I guess, insufficient. And therefore, he said, you have a name that you live and are dead. I love the directness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so important. We need to get that right. Uh, I was reading in Dakes. He's got a book out. It's called God's Plan for Man. And let me share from there an interesting point. Matter of fact, I just read it today. And I'm quoting dates, and he says, The church began not as a mixture of saved people and unsaved people. Only true believers would associate with the new religion of Christ. The way was way too narrow for people to walk in. They had persecution from the outside back in the days of Peter and Paul and John and Jesus. They had persecution from the outside, and they had judgment from the inside that kept people out of the church. So what he's saying is, you would get killed if you wanted to join that church. And if you did join that church, you had these great apostles there that were holding you accountable to make sure that your transformation was complete, that you were walking what you were reading, that you were living what you were learning. After Pentecost, back to the quote, after Pentecost, there was such persecution of the church that no one would dare join the church unless he made a consecration to suffer. If you were going to join the church after Pentecost, there was great persecution. They were killing them all away. Don't forget, 11 out of the 12 apostles were martyred. 
and persecution continued to keep the church clean. Let me say that again. Persecution continued to keep the church clean of all hypocrites for some time. And when it ceased, troubles in the ranks of the Christians began to appear. Basically, because if you were going to join the church after Pentecost, there was a good chance you were going to lose your job, lose your life, be thrown in prison. And so people that made that commitment, these were pure, honorable people. And you didn't have the problem with sin in the church because they knew what they were giving up to become a Christian. Back to the quote, as the church grew, more divisions and strife appeared until it was necessary to write letters constantly correcting certain doctrines and practices among the believers. Tares appeared, and since then, Christendom has been a mixture of tares and wheat. And that's part of the problem that we're facing in America today. We have both tares and wheat growing up together in the same unit, that unit being the church of the living God. Over here back in Sardis, Jesus is hanging the church because he says you think you're alive, but at the end of the day, man, you guys are dead. Jesus knows this because, he remember, he goes up and down the aisles. He does an outward observation, inward examination of the church. He's there. He knows what's going on, and he knows that they are a dead church. And then he says you have a name, you possess a reputation, you have a character that distinguishes you from others. Livest, the word is zeal, to be alive, to be active, full of vigor and vitality. This is the name that they had. And yet Jesus says, thou art dead. The word for dead there is nekros, N-E-K-R-O-S. It's a picture of a lifeless corpse. Can you imagine Jesus? I tell you, Jesus is direct. He does not mince words. He does not fool around. He's going to give you the word of God. It is going to convict you or it's going to bless you. But at the end of the day, he does not water down the truth. Negros, it's a picture of a lifeless corpse, a cadaver with no life left in it. It's a body disconnected from life, a stiff, dead corpse. We get our word necromancer from this, and necromancer literally means a conjuration or a calling upon of the spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future or influencing the course of events. Verse 2, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, the word perfect there, uh, it means mature. It's not, it means that they're growing, they've reached their fruition. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to have perfect effort. We could spend the remaining time before the rapture studying this and still fall short of the depth of understanding its meaning. First, the word watchful, and I love this. Full of watch, watchful, full of watch, faithful full of faith, joyful, full of joy. When you are watchful, you are full of watching. It's an overflowing state of watching. Our eyes are wide open. We are looking. We are searching everywhere and everything for two things. What? Danger and promise. The Greek word is Gregorio. It means to be on your guard, to be attentive. It denotes a watchful attitude of one who makes certain no enemy can successfully gain entry into his or her life or into a place of residence. It means condition red, to be on high alert. It pictures an attitude that never lets up. It describes someone who is wide awake to make certain that outside forces never sneak up to attack them. That's the watchfulness Jesus commanded them to be. Be watchful. Why? There are certain things that remain. I need you to strengthen them. Why? Otherwise, you're going to wind up dead like the rest of that's going on. 
But that's only half the meaning. The watchfulness Jesus describes here is not just in the negative sense of defending and guarding oneself. One is also to be looking for something, something good, something godly, something that has promised, that exemplifies hope. When you place it in its proper biblical context, you are also watching with confident expectancy that something good is about to happen. God's promises are coming true. The kingdom is here with signs and wonders everywhere, but only the watchful eye will notice. Diane and I and a couple of friends, we were talking the other day. You know, God is everywhere. We see him everywhere. The littlest things, you know, I own a, a business, a company, a construction company, and, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble getting materials. And so this coming Monday, I had no work to do. I had work, but we couldn't get the materials. So no big deal. You know, I said, well, well, they'll come in when they get here. I wasn't going to lose my peace about it. But, you know, I just felt impressed. I went to my supplier and I was looking for maybe an alternative type of material to use. And as I'm walking through the yard and everything, I come across some of the materials that I need. But I know that they're sold. I know that they're already off the books because that people order them in advance. So I go to the manager and he's good. We were able to go ahead, put a good word in for him when uh, they were choosing which manager to be. And I know we played a little role in that just by our glowing recommendation of this guy. Anyway, the bottom line is cutting to the chase. He moved some things around. He found out some of those orders had been canceled. There really were shingles for me. And sure enough, we got him and everything's fine. But I'm sorry, that's God. I don't care what you think. You can say that's carnal, Ron. You did everything you did. Well, aren't we supposed to? But at the end of the day, I was able to get what I needed. We didn't wind up taking a couple of days off waiting for stuff to come in. And I give God the glory. If you will look for God, you will find him. We don't have to manufacture the miracles. We don't have to manufacture the God. You know, oh, great miracle ministry coming in. Oh, this healing ministry of God. Oh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit going to be manifested. We put flyers up all over town. You are not to promote the Holy Ghost. You are to demonstrate the Holy Ghost. If you preach the word of God, he will confirm that word with signs and wonders following. We don't have to try to make God look good. He can do that on his own. All we got to do is tell the truth. Where am I? So, only the watchful eye will notice. Amen. But it's not just one aspect of watchfulness we ought to be focused on. We're supposed to be doing both. We are watching for danger and promise, and then we are watching to look for signs and wonders everywhere, because they are out there if you will look for them. We overflow with both of those, though, with the watchfulness. Remember, we're full. We're full of watchfulness. So we're looking for danger. We're looking for promise. We're looking for the manifestation of those promises. The dark threat of danger makes it easier to see the light of God's presence and his promises, while the light of God's truth sharpens our senses to discern when there is danger here. And that's what he's telling the church at Sardis. Be watchful and strengthen those things that remain lest they die. But we miss all of it if we aren't watching. If we're watching TV, we're going to miss the things of God. You know, if we're watching the negative news, we're going to miss the things of God. If we're watching things that we aren't watching, we're going to lose the blessing of understanding. Remember, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Everything in this earth, it is ministering to you the things of God or it's ministering to you carnality. It is either ministering to you truth or it is ministering to you deception. It is either ministering to you faith in Jesus or denying Christ. That's where we are in today's society. There's no middle ground. 
Hebrews 5.14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You're supposed to know the difference between good and evil. Watching, it's a spiritual exercise, and it starts with the word. First Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. This watchfulness will reveal things that will shake you to your boot heels. But don't let it. You're going to see things. I've become an intercessor, uh, and I love it. I love it. But yes, I see things, and I don't see a lot of good things. I'm sorry, that's just the state of the church today. Remember, the end time, we're fast-tracking the tribulation period. First the rapture, then the tribulation period, but we are heading there quickly. We are on the downhill side of grace. The age of grace is about to end. It's still here. But after the age of grace, you've got age of the church ends, and you go back into Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation where both Israel and the ungodly nations are judged, And it's a tremendous opportunity right now that we have as we're preparing people for the rapture of the church, for the second coming of Christ. But while we are doing that, we also need to prepare them for the tribulation period because, unfortunately, many, many churchgoers are going to miss out on the rapture and they're going to wind up in the tribulation period. They need to know what to expect. Uh, God will use them greatly. You know, you can learn about Jesus. You can accept him as your Lord and Savior during this time of grace. That's what this is all about. It's the age of grace where God offers the promises he gave to Israel to the church now. And we have the opportunity to have the spirit of God, that same sevenfold spirit of God living inside us, creating an intimate relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace. And we can have that now. You can have that right up until the rapture of the church. Once the rapture of the church takes place, the age of grace ends. And the only way you will be able to build a relationship with God is through judgment, through tribulation, through the wrath of God. You know, it's it's good news on one hand because millions upon millions upon millions upon millions, probably billions of people are going to come into the kingdom of God during the tribulation. But you don't have to be brought in under the judgment of God. You can enter in under the grace of God. And that's why we preach the gospel to you today. Today is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. This watchfulness will reveal things that will shake you to your boot heels, but don't let it. Be sober, be watchful, be under self-control, and may the things that you see lead you to prayer. Therefore, be sober and watch unto prayer. The things that you're seeing should drive you into the prayer room, and they do, let me tell you. The state of the church, the state of America, the condition of the body of Christ, the false that's everywhere, the uh, pathos, the apathy that's abounding in our Christian leaders, the misunderstanding, the false doctrines that are attempting to take us away from our relationship with God, all of these things we need to watch, and then we need to guard and protect them through prayer, the people that we love, the people that are leading us. So here we see that there is still hope for this church. He says, strengthen those things that remain. There are things that remain that are not dead yet. The Greek word also for strengthen is sterizo, and we get our word steroid from that. It means to set something fast, to hold securely as if it's set in concrete, to firm up one's foundation. It means to brace, to shore up one's foundation. Fundamentally, as Jesus used the word here, it means to support or to firm up or to add strength to something that already exists. Then he says that are ready to die. I want you to guard and protect these things that are ready to die, and it's not too late. You can strengthen them. 
It's a predictive statement by the head of the church, Jesus. If you remain on your present course, what's left will die. You know, and Jesus knows this. He knows all about this stuff, and he's warning them. Look, I haven't found a lot good. Matter of fact, he doesn't tell them anything. Matter of fact, what I found is dead. But you still have some stuff that's alive. And I'm telling you, strengthen it. Strengthen it. Firm up that foundation. Make sure that the things that you believe are firm. And he's warning them. Otherwise, you're going to lose them. Well, once again, we're out of time. It goes so fast, I can't believe it. But let me uh, say a prayer for you, and then we'll catch up with you again next week and talk about the church at Sardis. Father God, I thank you so much. Those that have ears to hear, Father God, they're listening. They're here by divine appointment, Father God. You have things you want to say to them. Father God, the Bible says the entrance of your word giveth light, and so shall your word be that go forth in the earth. It will not return unto you void. Father God, I speak life over these people, my family, my friends, my listeners. I speak health over them. I speak healing them, Father God. I speak grace to them. I shout Jesus is Lord into their lives. Thank you for listening. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.